You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's January 20th. Outer space may seem infinite, but the narrow band that hugs the Earth, where satellites and space stations operate, is not. In fact, a recent RAND report describes space as congested, contested, and littered with debris. And the problem is only getting worse. Tens of thousands of satellites are set to launch in the next few years, adding to the hundreds of thousands of objects that are already in Earth's orbit. Ranging from shards of debris no bigger than a screw to satellites the size of a school bus. What's needed are hard and fast rules for responsible behavior in space. Quote, nobody owns space, says Rand's Douglas Lagore, one of the authors of the study. There are no territories, there are no borders, so it's going to require all sovereign states to come together and figure out how to manage it. The report lays out a possible path forward. A good first step would be for countries to acknowledge the existence and locations of all their satellites. That could help build trust among nations in space. It could also help with the development of an international system to track and route satellites. In other words, it could lead to the creation of an air traffic control for orbital space. Improved trust and communication between space powers could also go a long way to improving efforts to clean up the junk and debris in Earth's orbit. The stakes of solving this international extraterrestrial puzzle are high. Lagore highlights just one vivid example that underscores the urgency. Nobody cares if a sailor drops a wrench in the middle of the ocean, he says. But if an astronaut drops a wrench it becomes an uncontrollable projectile, traveling at thousands of miles per hour, destroying anything in its path. Many predict that Russia's war on Ukraine will persist. They may be right. After all, there is no end in sight as the conflict approaches the one-year mark. But Rand's Peter Wilson and William Courtney say it's possible that the war will end earlier than expected. They lay out a few scenarios— First, there could be regime change in Moscow. Russian President Vladimir Putin's poorly executed draft of several hundred thousand Russians has been unpopular. Criticism of the war is growing. And there appears to be increased discontent among some Kremlin insiders. Second, the Russian military could collapse. It's well documented that Russian morale is weak and that troops and operations have been struggling on the battlefield. The picture is bleak. Troops train at dilapidated bases, fight with obsolete equipment, and lack medical supplies. There are some reports of mutiny, and during this winter, soldiers might freeze without warm clothing. Third, Ukraine could win the war outright. While Russia's struggles continue, Ukrainian morale is high. Our experts note that if the ground freezes deep and long enough, Ukraine's army might have an opportunity to conduct combined arms operations to push deeper into Russian-occupied areas. Even Crimea could be vulnerable, they say. These scenarios may be improbable, but, quote, policymakers might be prudent to consider not only possibilities of a long war, but also how it might end sooner. 
Last week, thousands of flights were delayed or canceled due to a Federal Aviation Administration outage. The FAA deemed the system failure to have been caused by a damaged computer file. According to Rand's Henry Willis, the incident is a reminder that the nation's critical infrastructure faces a range of threats. Everything from computer failures to Russian hackers to weather events to violent attacks. Air traffic systems are hardly the only critical infrastructure that face these threats. Disruptions of systems underlying financial transactions could halt commerce and business across sectors. Outages of the global positioning system could scuttle supply chains, transportation, and even cash withdrawals. And failure of the nation's electric grid or oil and gas pipelines could leave communities without power and heat. And to make matters worse, climate change is exacerbating the risks that national infrastructure faces from natural disasters. So what could be done now? Willis says that a first key step is better understanding the risks. A lack of collective knowledge about how risks can spread across infrastructure, economic sectors, and supply chains obscures the threat of catastrophic events. That's why collecting, analyzing, and sharing information is essential to preventing failures that can have potentially dire consequences. The nation dodged a bullet this time, Willis says. Next time, America might not be so lucky. Social media platforms are often promoted as digital town squares. But in reality, these platforms are not public spaces for free speech and civic discourse, says Rand's Douglas Jung. In fact, they are a far cry from it. That's because when the private owners of online spaces determine who gets to say what, often without the public's input or understanding, it can undermine productive conversations, increase misinformation and hate speech, and have other negative effects. Consider, for example, earlier this month, when election deniers in Brazil stormed top government buildings, echoing the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Leading up to the violence, far-right social media activity surged after Twitter owner Elon Musk fired most of Twitter Brazil's content moderation team, publicly questioning and even personally overseeing some of its decisions. As it turns out, the policies and people that control access and enforce the rules play a crucial role in protecting the public spaces that foster civic engagement. For instance, firing all the park rangers could mean that anyone can walk into a national park, but the trails would go unmaintained, trash would pile up, traffic would snarl, and the majestic landscapes that attracted everyone to begin with would suffer. And at a public space like Twitter, the effect has been similar. Removing content moderators has increased toxicity and turned Twitter into a place where fewer and fewer users care to spend their time. Jung concedes that it's extraordinarily hard to strike the right balance for access to public spaces, although the challenge is certainly greater online versus on land. But if privately owned online platforms are going to operate as, quote, digital town squares that are part of the civic infrastructure underpinning society, then the public should be asking, who's making these decisions about access? And on whose behalf? RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. 
For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast, and we'll see you next week. 